Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. from New York, uh, live from Seattle, or Linwood, Washington, Washington State. I um, hope you're all uh, doing okay this morning. Um, whew, a lot of tough stuff in the news today, but before we get there, let's, um, uh, I got to, some fun news, I got to go take my kids roller skating yesterday, and that was a blast. I can't believe how expensive it is to roller skate, and I'm also shocked how many people don't know how to roller skate. <laughs> because when I was a youngin, it seemed like everybody knew how to roller skate. Of course, I grew up at Heritage USA, and we had a roller skating rink and video games, so I knew how to roller skate and play video games. Um, so that was fun. We took my kids roller skating. They have these little things that you. They even charge for those. Everything is so expensive right now. But we had such a fun time. Um, my daughter was really struggling to roller skate. Have you ever seen um, Elaine from Seinfeld dance? It was kind of like that. But it was very cute, and she just did not give up. And it was the cutest thing to watch her, and just really amazing and so proud of her. Like, she just was like, I'm going to go around. i got to keep going around, no matter how tough it was, how long it took. And... Uh, and it's one of those things as a parent that you just kind of, you just kind of makes you really proud of like, you know, um, watching your kids enjoy something, but also really work hard to make it happen. And uh, it was really impressive. I was encouraged. I was like, man, this makes me want to try harder in life. Um, so anyhow, um, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, unfortunately, Woke up this morning to the news of uh, Colorado shooting at the gay club um, Q, uh, where 18 people were hurt and five people were murdered and lost their lives um, from a young man with a gun. Um, uh, we don't have all the information yet. New stuff's coming out. I don't know uh, what lied behind it. Um, but I know this is a great tragedy, and it continues tragedy that happens in this country. And uh, so, for me, the way I was raised is I just can't help but to, to mourn and feel other people's pain, to not feel this tragedy within my bones. Um... And I know not everybody is like that, you know, I understand that. I know that, um, and I'm not think. I don't think that me being able to feel it makes me better than somebody else. In some ways, it, it makes it harder for me to, uh, to think logically about a situation um, like this sometimes, you know, because you just feel it so deeply. Um, at, the, at, this, at another point, it makes you want to be able to, to uh, You know, I, I, it's a wake-up. It's a constant wake-up call. But living in this country, it seems like this is a constant wake-up call of these, these, these mass shootings that we're having. And 
how politicized it is and how divided we are as a country. I mean, blah, 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 blah. But I'm also really like disillusioned with like social media right now, you know, and it's like, you know, we'll share all this and stuff on, 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 on social media and oh, we're so upset and blah, 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 and then move on to the next thing that happens, politics or, or, or whatever. And I, I, I'm really getting to the point of like, um, I was thinking, we talked about redemption last week in, in that song, Redemption Song. How long must we sing this song, you know? How long should I kill our prophets as we stand aside and look? You know, it, it's, you know, some say they want no part of it, others say we must fulfill the book, you know? And there's like this idea of like, well, this is just what we live in, this is just what happens. Um, you know, and of course, I, I was automatically thought back to the Pulse shooting in Orlando where 49 people were murdered and I think 50 people were wounded, you know, and just, and I think that was another thing for me waking up this morning and feeling like this, like, oh, well, only five people were shot. You know, I mean, it's like, when we live in a world where that, like, oh, only five people were shot, like, innocent people were killed and 18 were hurt, you know, like, we live in a world where that's, we live in a country, in a world where that is a type of normal thing. You know, there's all sorts of tragedies going on in the world right now. Uh, human rights issues going on in the world right now. And so it's hard to be focused. So I think, for me, one of the hopes of what we do here at Revolution is that we're learning and thinking about life skills that will help us deal and confront these horrific issues that are going on in our country, in other countries, in the world, and that we are able to have conversations about it, that we aren't shutting other people down, um, that we're able to, to, to change things rather than saying like, no, well, this group's gonna be over here and this group's gonna be over here, so oh, all the gun nuts are over here and all the, you know, anti-gun nuts are over here, you know, gun control nuts are over here, and they're all, you know, and it's like, no, like, how do we continue to come together? We talk about arguing well, and I was talking to a friend of mine the other day, we were just texting back and forth while I was at the grocery store, and he was like, well, maybe we should not, maybe not argue well, maybe we should just shut up and listen. But for me, I was like, well, that's kind of the idea behind arguing well, is that you're gonna listen as well. So, I mean, maybe it's that we learn to disagree well but with the hopes of coming to a place, even if it's within contradiction, but really I, my hopes is that we come to a place where we start to solve these issues and we start to think about the other. And I think that's always why I've stayed and stuck with Christianity, even in my biggest moments of complete disbelief and doubt, um, because of the idea of love your neighbor as yourself, well, who's my neighbor, that kind of idea. Um, so as I... I, I I woke up feeling like, you know, I have the kids this weekend and, and you know, tired. <laughs> um, Milo was having growing pains last night, and that was really tough. Um, and kids are getting over colds. You know, all the life that we have to live every day is, is, is exhausting as well. Um, but waking up and having that complete feeling of, 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 like, powerlessness over these tragedies... And, 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 and asking the question of like, how do, we, how do we deal with those situations? How do we help people? You know, uh, who are we? You know, I, I think is a, is a good question. Who are we when it comes to moments like this and times like this? 
Um, you know, so I, my hope is, is that this isn't just something that we post about and talk about how sad we are and then move on. But I hope it's something that we can, we can continue to say like, this has got to stop. This has got to change. And they has to be tough conversations. And uh, people always say, well, don't blame mental health on this situation. But I think we should talk about mental health. Um, I don't know if any of you guys grew up watching the Power Ranger, but um, the, one of the lead actors, the guy who was the Green Ranger, and I think later became the White Ranger. <laughs> okay, I'm nerd out for a second. Um, he killed himself yesterday. And so, you know, we have a lot of this thing of like, you know, it's sort of, you know, white heterosexual males, you know. <laughs> but that's also the top group of people who take their own lives with guns, you know. So, so this is things that we need to look at, mental health issues and gun issues and guns in the hands of people who struggle with depression and struggle with, with thoughts that they can't control. Um, and for me, I think that the saddest part of this is how often this is happening to people who are minorities and to children. Um, and I just see Zoe said that they don't, it's one of the reasons they don't own a gun. And, um, me too, you know, exactly. Um, you know, and I don't like that feeling of feeling numb and going, thinking only five. I mean, I was like, what the freaking hey is going on when you're, you're coming numb to these, 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 these issues. But then I have another friend who's just like, you know, knows that there's deeper problems in, in economics and, and things like this that drive a lot of these things and how all these things interconnected. But I, sometimes it's just, it's for me, I have to go like, all right, here's the problem. It might be part of another problem, but we really got to figure out how to do this and how do we have these conversations? Even if the conversations are relating like, oh, there's an underlined issue that we need to really hit that's causing these other issues to happen which is so often the case because life is complicated, the world's complicated. Um, like I said yesterday, you know, like how much money do you spend trying to, you know, have fun with your family, you know, and then pay your rent and do all these things and, and stay ahead of these things. It's, it's also stressors. Um, but for me, I often go to King in times of, 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 of great injustice and violence, and that's Dr. King. <laughs> oh, that guy right there, Dr. Martin Luther King. I actually have a little statue that I got at the King Center like 20 years ago that I really love, a bust of Dr. King, um, who's one of my heroes. And I, I, you know, and this is, he drew, he drew, you know, the map of nonviolence for me. He drew the map of loving my enemies. He drew the map of, of caring about those who, who, who I don't understand and having tough conversations and, and also taking a stand and, 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 and and giving grace, but grace with justice, you know. Um, I was thinking about the first time my kids were introduced to Dr. King um, was uh, at a very, very young age. I think they were like three and five, or maybe. Um, and, and, and it was when George Floyd was murdered and I sat down with my kids and I had a kid's book for about Dr. King that I actually got at the King Center. I bought a bunch of wild stuff at the King Center when I went. I bought all of his books and his children's books and stuff. And 
was able to share that with them. And we just did a tour of my kid's school, and it was like, my son, oh, there's Dr. King, there's Martin Luther King, you know, and it's really cool to see that. Like, oh, there's one of your heroes, Dad, you know. Um, but the reason he knows that is out of tragedy, out of injustice. Um, and I think if Dr. King has taught us anything is to, to carry that soul force with us, to carry that passion with us and that purpose with us, uh, to end injustice and injustice towards our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, our African-American brothers and sisters, but also our mentally ill brothers and sisters and even our white heterosexual brothers and sisters. is like, how do we bring some sort of freedom to the conversation? How do we bring solutions to a conversation? and not just have magical thinking and thoughts and prayers because people, it's so funny, you see people complaining about, oh, thoughts and prayers on, on Instagram and Twitter. I'm like, wow, you just did a social media post. <laughs> you know, it's like thoughts and prayers and social media posts. Um, so what I decided to do is, is today was, I rather than try to rewrite a talk and come up with something that I would be inspired by. I have a book that's a collection of Dr. King's talks, and I wanted to go through um, one of Dr. King's talks. So if you're willing to hunker down and, and go through uh, one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s sermons with me, um, that's what we're going to do right now. And, uh, and he was a brilliant man. Like Dr. King was a brilliant man, and so one of the talks uh, I'm gonna, uh, the talk I'm gonna read from today and, and kind of discuss is um, a talk he gave called "The Dimensions of a Complete Life." And I got up and I started looking through different talks he gave, and, and sometimes I'll Google like talks, you know, sermons for for, for folks like him, just different folks. Um, and this was one that kind of stood out to me because of it, it deals with the situations of our own individuality and our own lives and our own needs, which I think we are all definitely in. But you know, how does that how does that all connect? So the, the the sermon here is called "The Dimensions of a Complete Life," and it's and he talks from Revelation. So this is going to be one of the time where you hear about the Book of Revelation at Revolution. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so I'm going to read some of this and do some comments, kind of like we do usually with Bible or Tillich or other people. Um, so here we go. Many, many centuries ago, out of a lonely, obscure island called Patamos, a man by the name of John caught a vision of the new Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God. One of the greatest glories of this new city of God that John saw in its com completeness, it was not partial and one-sided, but it was complete in all three of its dimensions. So we're gonna talk about these dimensions this morning, um, or this evening for you on the other side of the ocean. Um, and so it's described in the city in the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation. John says this, the length and the breadth of the height are it, of it are equal. Do you hear that? The length and the breadth and the height it, of it are equal. In other words, this new city of God, this city of ideal humanity, is not an unbalanced entity, much like we live in today. 
but it is a complete on all sides. Now, I'm so used to hearing like the really bad violence stuff, like Jesus has got a sword and he's covered in blood and it's coming down to get the bad people, you know? Um, and, and, and then my dad's idea of revelations, which we just see it differently. I mean, we've had really interesting, years ago we had interesting conversations about the book of Revelations. Um, but anyway, another story, another day. Now, John is saying something quite significant here. This is Dr. King speaking. For so many of us, the book of Revelation is a very difficult book, yes, puzzling to decode, check. Uh, we look upon it as something of a great enigma wrapped in mystery. Yeah, I would agree there, sir. And certainly, if we accept the book of Revelation as a record of actual historical occurrences, it is a difficult book, shrouded with imperitable mysteries. But if we will look beneath the particular jargon of its author and the prevailing apocalyptic symbols, we will find the book of many eternal truths which continue to challenge us. And I love this because Dr. King is basically having a radical theological look he's of, of Revelation, of the book of Revelation. He's, he, he's backing up, and I think it's important, especially with the book of Revelations, that we back up, you know. And I'm always trying to do that with scriptures is sometimes it's like, okay, here, this is what it's saying, this is what it's meaning, but what does the radical interpretation say? What is the greater, the, in, the deeper meaning of this book? Um... What is John really saying in this? Is That is lie, okay. But if we look beneath the particular jargon of its author and the prevailing apocalyptic symbolism, we find in this book many eternal truths which continue to challenge us. One such truth is that this text, what John is really saying is this, that life as it should be and life at its best is the life that is complete on all sides. And so what we're talking about tragedies like happened at Kew yesterday in Colorado and tragedies that happened at schools all over the country and the, you know, I believe there was a shooting at the at the, uh, the grocery store and also in Colorado um, but this happens all over the country um, what is our role in it and I think if we look at this kind of this 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 question of what is John really saying is is what should be the life at its best is the life that is complete on all sides. So what are these sides that Dr. King is encouraging us to look at? There are three dimensions of any complete life to which we can fitly give the words of the text. Length of life, breadth and height. The length of life, as we shall think of it here, is not a duration or its longevity, but it is the push of life forward to achieve personal ends and ambitions. Um, I think that's a lot of what Paul, the apostle, talks about when he's saying running the good race. It's, it's not necessarily the length, but what we achieve in personal ends and ambitions. It is the inward concern for one's own welfare, okay? So that's what we see a lot of, a lot of people. And I often, that's the, the divide in politics is, is some people are like politically concerned about, well, what's going to happen to me and what's going to happen to my family? And then you've got other people are like, well, what's going to happen to these people and their families? You know, and so it's, it comes together. And then, you know, of course, one group thinks they're better than the other group, um, which is unfortunate because this is saying for completeness, we need to look at all three sides of these ideas. 
It is the inward concern for one's welfare. The breadth of life is the outward concern for the welfare of others. And you see what I'm saying? So it's not saying we have to side with this side or that side, that it has to be uh, bi binary thinking. It's saying, you know, hey, th it, there's a dialectic here. It's okay. And like, you, you know, this is what Jesus meant when he loved God with all your heart and equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And love yourself isn't part of that loving your neighbor. Um, sorry, the kids are arguing in the background. You may hear that a little bit. Um, I might have to get up for a second, so I do apologize. The breadth of life is the outward concern for the welfare for others. The height of life is the upward reach of God. That's a harder one for me to understand because, you know, to me, God is still something I work on grasping and understanding. There are three dimensions of life, and without the three being correlated, working harmoniously together, life is incomplete. And I think a lot of us in this world, we live an incomplete life, and we don't embrace all of these together. Life is something of a great triangle. At one angle stands the individual person. At the other angle stands the other person. And at the top stands the supreme infinite person, God. These three must meet in every individual life, if that life is to be complete. I'm watch this. Now let us notice first the length of life. I have said this in dimensions of life in which the individual concerned with developing his inner powers. It is the dimension of life which the individual pursues personal ends and ambitions. Like trying to pay rent, trying to have a good career, trying to help others. Hold on one second, everybody, I'm sorry. Speaking of personal ends and ambitions. Um, it is a dimension of life which the individual pursues personal ends and ambitions. This is perhaps the selfish dimension of life, and there is such a thing as moral and rational self-interest. Amen? Therapy, mental health, well-being, paying our bills, living life, and living life well. If one is not concerned about themselves, they cannot be totally concerned about others' selves. Do you hear that? If we're not concerned with ourselves, we can't be totally concerned with other selves because we're obviously, for many reasons, it's, we're going to be worried about our own life. Like, it's harder for, like, right now, we, I have not received a paycheck since um, September. You know, so for me, that's tough to do this job because I'm worried. About, I have another job that's bringing in finances, but I'm going like, what's going to happen when that one is time runs out and I've still got to do this and where am I headed? What am I doing? You know, how do I take care of my kids? Um, some years ago, I learned a rabbi that late Joshua Liebman wrote a book entitled Peace of Mind. He has a chapter in the book entitled Love Thyself Properly. In this chapter, he says in substance that it is impossible to love others' selves adequately unless you love your own self properly. Many people have been plunged into the abyss of emotional fatalism because they did not love themselves properly. And I think we have to look at the importance of all of this, you know, because it's so easy for us to, you know, they did this, they do that, do, 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 you know, without focusing on ourselves and without focusing on the others. And I, I feel that when I'm in a better mental health state, I am better equipped to work with others, to love others, that helps people solve their problems, to come together and have better conversations and have tough conversations. If, 
if I'm <clears throat> if I'm in the middle of chaos, often you know if someone confronts me and things like that, I, they're not going to get the best response. You know, if I'm if I'm not taking care of myself, I might just fly off the handle because I'm so frustrated with my own life at that point that it's hard for me to focus on any other's life. So almost 30 years of doing this job, I've realized that it's so important to take care of myself. That's why I go to a, an analyst and I pay, I don't have insurance for an analyst. So I have insurance that I have to pay, but I also have to, have to pay my analyst. But I see it as an investment, not just for myself, but for this and for being a good father as well. So taking care of myself is important so I can be a better father, so I can be a better leader, so I can be a better friend, and so I can be better even to myself, a better friend to myself. Um, many people have been plunged into the abyss of emotional fatalism because they did not love themselves properly. So individuals have a responsibility to be concerned about themselves enough to discover what they are made for. After we discover this calling, we should set out to do it with all our strength and power and being. You know, I remember one time years, years, I mean, it must have been 25 years ago, meeting with a pastor, and I said, I feel lazy. I feel like I hate myself. I don't know what I want to do. And this is right before I restarted up doing Revolution, so this might have even been 25 years ago. I had taken some time off. And he said, the pastor said to me, he's like, you don't lack you're not lazy. You're not this horrible person that you think you are. He's like, you're really being unfair to yourself. You just lack purpose. What gives you passion? What do you purpose? What do you feel purpose for? And I said, well, I did this thing called revolution, you know, for a couple of years. And I really felt, you know, felt alive when I did. And he goes, is that your purpose? And I realized that, yes, that was my purpose. So here I am for almost 47 years old, still doing this. And this is what wakes me up in the morning, gives me passion and, you know, uh, try to do my best and, and, and want to do this forever if I could. Um, or this in some way, some form, shape or form, you know. After one discovers their calling, they should set out to do it with all their strength and power and being. You should do it as God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. I love that. I love it because I feel like the preacher come out of that. And sometimes I just need the preacher to come out in Dr. King or in other places or other people where they inspire me. I need the inspiration. So you should do it as God Almighty called to a particular moment in history to do it. And when I know when I kind of feel that vibe, I don't become self-important or think like I'm the man of God and my word stays. But it's one of those things that makes me feel like this is where I'm him. This is the moment in time I'm here for. Like when I came out affirming, Dr. King was one of the people who really encouraged me re reading his writings to do that. And I feel like this is what I am here for at this moment in time. Now, it cost a lot. It was a big sacrifice. It was really crazy. Like I didn't, like I thought I counted the costs. Um, but it was, it was always worth it because of that moment. You felt, I felt this is what is, and now at this time, I'm feeling like now I've got to bring conservatives and and, and liberals together and have tough conversations and that's why I'm here for such a time as this and the world is so divided and this is why I'm here even if I got 11 folks listening to me live I'm still here to do that uh, you should seek to do the job as well that the living the, the well that the living the dead or the unborn could not do it better no matter how small one thinks their life is.
There's a lot of male pronouns in here that I'm trying to get around, so if it seems a little bit weird when I read it, so I might have to throw them in every now and then. Work is in terms of the norms of the world and so-called big jobs. One must realize that it is cosmetic, that their cosmetic, cosmic significance is us serving humanity and doing the will of God. To carry this one extreme, if it falls your lot, to be a street sweeper, sweep a street as Raphael painted pictures, sweep a street as Michelangelo carved marble, sweep a street as Beethoven composed music, sweep a street as Shakespeare wrote poetry, sweep a street so well that all the hosts of heaven and on earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. In the words of Douglas Mallock, if you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. For it isn't the size that you win or you fail, but the best, but being the best at whatever you are. And I love the fact that Dr. King saw this because Dr. King saw this in such a really beautiful way that that he you know that he was working with with garbage people at the end of his life to get rights for people who were doing garbage work and that's when he was his life was taken from him he was lost his popularity because he was like it's not just black or white you know it's about workers rights it's about equality it's about these people making a living and allowing these people to be who they are and you're going to have the best garbage workers in the world if we take care of them and appreciate them and treat them fairly you know i mean he he saw the importance of that like it's like you know not like oh you're a garbage worker you need to be this and you know you could need to be able to do this and you need to make a living doing this and you can do it to the best of your ability and i always thought that was really beautiful like uh, i don't think we should look down on people who have different jobs and, oh they must have really screwed up their life if they're doing that you know um especially when they do it well um, you know, if I was a millionaire, there's been times where I wanted to be, I've been in restaurants or places like that. And if I had a big company, I'd be like, I'm hiring you and I'm hiring you because you're blowing my mind about how much you care about this job. You're doing it so well. When you do this, you have mastered the first dimension of life, the length of life. But don't stop here. It is dangerous to stop here. There are some people who never get beyond the first dimension. They are brilliant people. Often they do excellent jobs in developing their inner power, but they live as if nobody else lived in the world but themselves. There is nothing more than tragic, tragic than to find an individual bogged down by the length of life, devoured of the breadth. I mean, think about when we look at billionaires and we're going like, why are they all building rockets? Like, what is this, you know, because they've, they've done a great job at building themselves, but is this, you know, there's hungry people and, what is this rocket doing to help hungry people? Um, I mean, maybe the idea is eventually that the hungry people can go to another planet and have food. I'm not sure. I'm not here to judge uh, the, the billionaires today. The breadth of life is that dimension of life which we are concerned about others. Now, Jay, you're saying, Jay, what does this have to do with the shooting today? You know, it's these are the type of things that if we focus on in life and we're concerned about others, that we can come together and say, what can we do to end tragedies like this? But it's also the type of thing that if someone like this could have reached whoever this shooter was or people like, you know, and saying, you know, helping them realize the importance of others. Why, you know, don't take the life. Don't let your darkness. Don't let your hate. Don't let your don't, don't take the people. Don't take the innocent. Don't hurt the innocent. Don't do these things, you know. Uh, 
going in and purchasing that gun that might not be help the breadth of life. An individual has not started living it until he can rise above the narrow confines of the individualistic concerns to the broader concern of all humanity. So there's times, and I find this a lot when I'm feeling financial insecurity in my own life, you know, is, is that's when those dark thoughts of self-harm and things like that kind of creep in um, because you start to think like, well, I'm not good to anybody else and I, you, know, you get this, this, this worry. Um, and, and then you think, well, maybe I would just be good if I didn't exist at all. Um, but what keeps me going is my children, you know, and, and you guys, you know, is, is realizing the broader concern of humanity, of all humanity, you know. I love, that's what I love about being a father is it takes me into this moment where I'm just with my kids and it takes me out of all these crazy worries and thoughts and things like that, but it also allows me to see how much, you know, how powerful the, the parental thoughts and talks about God being a father figure and that type of thing really are, you know, and, and if, if God sees us that way and, you know, you go like, oh, wow, you know, and, and how to love people more and see how people suffer in different ways and what, what causes that even as in children. So I love that. The broader concern of all humanity. You remember one day a man came to Jesus and he raised some significant questions, finally got around to the question, who is my neighbor? This could have easily been very abstract question left to midair, but Jesus immediately pulled that question out of the midair and placed it on the dangerous curve between Jerusalem and Jericho. This is Dr. King again, for those who are joining us late. He talked about certain man who fell among thieves. Three men passed, two of them on the other side, and finally another man came and helped the injured man on the ground. He is known to us as the Good Samaritan. Jesus says in substance that this is a great man. He was great because he, he could project the I into the thou. So often we say that the priest and the Levites were in a big hurry to get some ecclesiastical meeting so they did not have time. They were concerned about that. I would rather think of it in another way. And I think Dr. King, I've done, actually done uh, this talks very similar to this and, and I, I love what Dr. King sees here. They were concerned about a meeting so they did not have time. They were concerned about that. I would rather think of it another way. I can well imagine that they were quite afraid, you see, the Jericho Road is a dangerous road. Do you hear me? And the same thing happened to the man who was robbed and beaten could have happened to them. So I imagine the first question that the priest and the Levi asked was this, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? And I don't think we often see that within polit politics and religion and with leaders, that sometimes if you look closely and you go, why are these, well, why don't they support this? Or why don't they do this? You know what I mean? Sometimes they're thinking like, I've seen what's happened to other people <laughs> when they've done this thing, when they've made this statement, when they've pushed this ground, when they've, when they've taken a stand, when they said, here I stand, I've seen what happens. And that same thing could happen to me. You know, when I was going through a lot of that, I would encourage other people to speak out, just saying like, the more people who speak out, um, the easier it will be on each, and the next person, and the next person, and the next person, and they'll become more well accepted. I mean, which happens over time, but sometimes I was trying to like push it rather than let it happen organically. And um, 
And I know that the fact a lot of those folks were saying, well, what's not only going to happen to me, but what's going to happen to my family, what's going to happen to my community, you know, what will happen there? And the Good Samaritan came by, and by the nature of his concern, reversed the question, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? How awesome is that? What will happen to him? Um... What will happen to him? And I think that's the question is what will happen to them? So when I see, continue, when, when I think about gun rights and things like that, you know, and, and people who are very pro-gun, and I have a lot of friends who are even liberals who are pro-gun and, and, and things like that, but I think they all know that automatic weapons are probably, yeah, should be banned. <laughs> um, but the idea here is... Um, was, I don't know, I just saw something, someone said something about PayPal, I don't know if they're pointing out my hypocrisy, but if you were, that's good on you. Um, we're also on YouTube and Twitter <laughs> and Instagram, all supported by billionaires. Um, you know, it's kind of win in Rome, I guess. Um, I, I miss the good old days when all I had to do was make flyers and, and, and pass those out and it was word of mouth and, and you, you had to work really hard just to get anybody to show up to anything and now you have to work really hard to get Nobody to show up to everything. Um, but he said, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And that is something that my mother and my father both really deeply put in my heart. Really deeply put into my soul is like, if I don't, what will happen to that other person? What will happen to them? I think that's one of the great things about why it's so stabilizing having children is that I'm often having to focus on them and I can't focus on everybody around me. So it's that moment of like where, you know, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to them if this, you know, but you're focused on these two people that are most important people in your world and it kind of keeps you there. Now, my father and my mother weren't as great parents, but it wasn't because they didn't love me, I don't think. I think it was because they were in that constant hope of like, if we don't do this work, what's going to happen to these people? So we have to do more. So yeah, I ended up being raised by security guards and nannies and things like that. And, and it wasn't what I'm going to, it's not how I'm going to raise my children. But I can also understand that their focus wasn't about themselves. They were asking what will happen to those people? What will happen to people who are suffering and going through hell? Um, and this man was a great because he had the mental equipment for a, a dangerous altruism. He was great because he could surrender the length of life with the breadth of life. Oh, okay, sorry. So that, <laughs> I gotcha. Oops. <laughs> the, 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 the questions come up so fast on, on, on here that I'm just like, and of course I'm always looking for like, who doesn't like me? <laughs> like me, please. Um, <laughs> the length of life. <laughs> um, and this man was great because he had a mental equip equipment for a dangerous altruism. He was great because he could surrender the length of his life with the breadth of life. He was great not only because he had the, to ascend a certain height of economic security, but because he could cons consend to the depths of, could consent, I think that's the word, to the depths of the human need. And so I think that's the question we ask is how do we get below the depths? I mean, how do we get to the depths of human need, and how do we live that life? And I think we all do it, and we have different parts. And I think that's what's particularly cool about the Bible. Here I'm re-preaching 
King sermon, like, oh, don't worry, Dr. King, I'll fix this for you. Um, <laughs> it's like when I've done sermons and people get up and be like, what Jay really meant to say was. Um, but, 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 but it's this idea of like, we're all in different parts. So we need our philosophers and we need our scientists and we need our street sweepers and we need, we're all different parts of the body. It's not just like, we're just different parts of the body in the church and then there's everybody else. Like we need this in the world, you know? Like how grateful I am that they have two people who they work here at my apartment complex that pick up, they come and they pick up the garbage every day. And so when my kids come, there's not crazy garbage everywhere. You know what I mean? And they feel more at peace and they feel safer and things like that. I mean, you know, we don't take, we take that stuff for granted, but I'm like, somebody's doing that and someone is doing that really well here. You know, like we might not have lights on all half the time here, but we have something else that's happening that's really beautiful. You know, we, we're still doing our best here. Um, all this has a great deal of bearing in our situation in the world today. So often racial groups are concerned about the length of life, their economic privileges and positions, their social status. Do you hear me? Their social status. Or do you hear Dr. King? So often nations of the world are concerned about the length of life. Oh, preach, Mr. King. Preach, Dr. King. So often nations of the world are concerned about the length of life, perpetuating their nationalistic concerns and their economic ends. How about that? The economic ends, man. Dr. King got it. May it not be that the problem in the world today is that individuals as well as nations have been overly concerned with the length of life, devoted of the breadth, which in the breadth is the other. And so I think this is why we have situations of like a very powerful gun, you know, the NRA and things like that, why they're so powerful and why they have so money and why they, you know what I mean? Like it's financial, you know, it's why our, you know, they're making huge donations to our politicians and our politicians are going like, well, I'm a millionaire. So, I, you know, I guess I can let these guys get away with it. I'll worry about their breadth and nobody else's, you know, even though all these people keep getting killed and dying, I'm in their pocket now. What do I do? Uh, how do I give up my, I want my length of life. So they have to give up the breadth of life or the breadth of life for most people in this, you know, and that's a problem. That's a big problem for all of us. And I don't think we've realized that this is not just like, oh, that's what the, it sounds like the conservatives, you know, that's what I want to go to. But you know, I've seen this now. It sounds like progressives as well with cancel culture and, oh, we're not even going to listen to that person. We're not even going to have a conversation. You know, if you're not like me and you don't accept everyone, then we don't accept you. You know I mean? It's like, it's, it's, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's kind of like hypocrisy in a way, or at least it doesn't, it's not, a far driven vision of going like, well, what's going to lead to community? It's just separates us. And it says, well, only, and it does what like the, the what the politician who takes the bribes or the, the billionaire does, you know, it's like they have their certain group we're worried about. We're just saying like, well, we're worried a group about this group, but what about the people who oppose us? And the conversations that we're going to have to have with those who oppose uh, sensible gun right uh, control issues and things like that. We're going to have to have these conversations because if we just keep saying they're bad on the internet, you know, I think they're sleeping pretty well at night. I think it's time that we have to be personal and have these conversations and have relationships. And maybe that's not us to have those conversations, but it's for us a way to at least start to encourage others to have that conversation. 
You know, could you imagine if this was a, a giant church? I mean, if this was a giant church, I'm like, okay, we're going to take a month off and you guys are just going to not come to this giant church. You're just going to go have communication with people. We're going to have hard conversations. And at... Uh, you know, and we're going to listen too. So during Thanksgiving, we're not going to belittle each other or hurt each other's feelings and, and, and say, I'm right and you're wrong, but we're going to listen and we're going to celebrate the bread of life when, within the, that moment of time of a family who comes together. Um, how do you see me? You know, what do you see when you see me? You know, because I think sometimes when we're asked someone to ask that who we feel negative about, we almost feel bad about it. And then we have to recheck ourselves and go like, oh, am I fairly judging this person? But there is still something to remind us that we are in, in we are, <clears throat> but there is still something to remind us that we are interdependent, that we are all involved in a single process, that we are all somehow caught in an escapable network of mutuality. I love this escapable network of mutuality. That should be the name of revolution from now on. Welcome to the escapable <laughs> network of mutuality. Thanks for tuning in to the network of inescapable mutuality. Um, therefore, whoever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing with these tragedies and these murders and these losses of life and this division in, the, in, in this country. As long as there's poverty in the world, I can never be rich, even if I have a billion dollars, Dr. King says. As long as a disease are rampant and millions of people in this world cannot expect to live more than 28 or 30 years, I can never be totally healthy, even if I just got a good checkup at the Mayo Clinic, which was in Rochester, Minnesota, where my dad was in prison. <laughs> I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. I think we all are familiar with that MLK quote. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. So if I'm not suffering and you're suffering, I can't be who I am. I mean, I may literally as a human being can't do that because of, uh, I feel lots of empathy. I feel lots of worries and guilts and sensitivity towards other folks that what my parents kind of put in me as a child. Um, this is the way the world is made. I love that, man. We're all interconnected. No individual or nation can stand out boasting of being independent, not even nations. You know, yeah, Dr. King is great, right? So, like, nations can't stand out boasting being independent. We are interdependent. So even when we look at wars going on or what's going on in Iran right now and things like that, we, we're, we're still interdependent with one another, you know? It's not like, well, I'm okay, so you guys just do your thing, you know? It's like, no, you know, like, we're suffering, but, man, those people are really suffering, you know? Um, we, we can't, like, I can't live my life well if they're not able to live their life well, you know, and how do we do that? And how do we do that without running in with guns and saying, live like us, you know, like forcing and, and legislating our morality. Um, so John Don had placed in a graphic terms when he affirmed, no man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Then he goes on to say, any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. When we discover this, we master the second dimension of life. And now Dr. King is going to get down. We're going to go to church. Y'all ready to be at church with Dr. King? <laughs> um, finally, there's a third dimension. Some people never get beyond the first two dimensions of life. They master the first two. 
They develop their inner powers. They love humanity, but they stop right there. They end up with the feelings that man is the end of all things and that their humanity and that their humanity is God. Philosophically or theologically, many of them would call themselves humanists. I have I have a really good friend who was a pastor and now is a humanist. <laughs> Maybe I'll send that to him. They seek to live life without a sky. They find themselves bogged down on the horizontal plane without being integrated on the vertical plane. But if we are to live the complete life, we must reach up and discover God. H.G. Wells was right. The man who is not religious begins at nowhere and ends at nothing. Religion is like a mighty wind that breaks down the doors and makes the possible, even the easy, which seems difficult, impossible. And I will say this, even times where my greatest doubt is, even in my times of atheism, I am still a religious person in the best sense. The religious person of the community, of grace, that which is greater than myself, that which accepts, that says that we are accepted. In modern world, it is easy for us to forget this. We often find ourselves unconsciously neglecting the third dimension of life. Not that we go up and say, goodbye, God, we're going to leave you now. But because we're involved in the things of this world that we are unconsciously carried away by the rushing tide of materialism. Here we go. I'm going to talk about like the not, the not safe Dr. King. But we become involved in the things of this world that are unconsciously carried away by rushing tides of materialism, which leave us treading in the confused waters of secularism. We find ourselves living in what the Professor Sorkin of Harvard called a ascent state civilization, believing the only those things which we can see and touch and to which we can apply our five senses have existence. You know, sometimes it's like just what we see. You know, oh, well, they're out of touch with the world. Yeah, well, they're out of touch with our world, but there are people who are living in their own world. Um, I think that might have been one of the things that, with my family where they were, where my parents and stuff maybe started to lose touches because they were so, they had, they created this very large community, a lot of people, their own world. And I think for me, that's why I went the opposite way, especially in Atlanta. I was like, I want my community to be part of a community outside of the church. I don't want the church to be a community itself. Something should remind us once more that the great things in the universe are things that we never see. You walk out at night and look up at the beautiful stars and they bed deck of heavens like swinging lanterns of eternity and you think you can see all. Oh no, you can never see the law of gravitation that holds them there. You walk around this vast campus of you, pro you and you probably have a great aesthetic experience. I have walked about, and he's obviously speaking at a college, and looking at the beautiful buildings, and you think you see all. Oh, no. You can never see the mind of the architect who drew the blueprints. You can never see the love and the faith of the hope of the individual who made it so. There's pictures in this book, so I have to flip through it to get to the end. Here we are. We're almost at the end, everybody. Look at me. You think you see Martin Luther King. You don't see Martin Luther King. You see a body. But you must understand my body can't think. My body can't reason. You don't see the me that makes me, me. You can never see me personally. I mean, how beautiful is that when we, maybe something for us to carry with us this Thanksgiving when we're with family, is that you can never see me personally. You know, you don't see the me that makes me, me. <laughs> In a real sense, everything that we see is a shadow cast by that which we do not see. Plato was 
right. The visible is a shadow cast by the invisible. And so God is still around. All of our new knowledge, all of our new developments cannot diminish this being one iota. These new advances have banished God neither from the microcosmic compass or the atom, nor from the vast untenable range of interstellar space. The more we learn about the universe, the more mystery and awesomeness it becomes. God is still here. I love that. God's in the mysteries of things and not just like, oh God, it's a mystery. You know, why God kills all those people? Not like that, no. But God's in the mystery of all those things, the universe. Uh, me and Zoe, we love Saturn, but we also love pictures of space and NASA and things. And I think it's because we both are just like, what is God? And we see that and we go, I think I see something. Um, so I say to you, seek God and discover them and make them a power in your life. Without God, all of our efforts run to ashes and our sunrise into darkness and nights. Without God, life is meaningless drama with a decisive sense of missing. Now, I'm not going to say I completely agree here because I have a lot of friends who don't are, are atheists and have a lot of beautiful thoughts here, but I think it's still important to say, well, what is this? And then I think it's still important to ask the question of, well, what is God when we talk about God? But with him, we are able to rise from the fatigue, we're talking about God, despair of the buoyance of hope. With God, we are able to rise from the midnight of depression to the darkest, to the daybreak of joy. St. Augustine was right. We were made for God and we will be restless until we find rest in God. And so for me, sometimes the rest I find in God is even when I don't, the God of my understanding, but like the, the, the ground of being, as Tillich would say, or as John Caputo talks about, is the haunting, that which haunts me, that which is, is like a spirit or a specter that I can't quite escape, or that little bit of faith, that mustard seed that my mom planted deep within my heart. You know what I mean? Or the moment when I walk in and see a play written by Elton John and Jake from the Scissor Sisters about my mother's life, and I go, I swear, have you heard that song? Someone saved my life today. You know, John, Elton John's song, didn't they? I put it on a little picture of the, the, from the Tammy Faye play because that's what I felt when I walked out of there. You know, those moments of something greater than thyself, even if it's these people celebrating a life that most people mocked and now celebrate as love. Boom! You know, watching how quickly the LGBTQ community gained you know, marriage rights and things like that. I mean, I remember sitting with my analyst who was a, a, a gay man saying, you know, this was 20 years ago or 15 years ago. And we were like, oh, you know, he was like, I don't think gay marriage will happen for like 20 or 30 years. And I was like, well, I don't think it'll happen for 10 years. And then it just happened with like three years. You know, seeing those things happen is there's something happening that's greater than ourselves. There's something that says you are accepted even by those who think you are not accepted. I mean, look at what the Mormon church has just supported, the Marriage Protection Act. Okay, so I'm just saying, knock, listen, look, hear. St. Augustine was right. We are made for God and we will be restless until we find the rest in God. Love yourself. If that meant rational, healthy, and moral self-interest, you are commanded to do that. That is the length of life. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You are commanded to do that. That is the breadth of life. But never forget the other commandment equally is important. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, and all thy mind. That's a really tough one. That, that third one's a tough one, isn't it? This is the height of life. 
And when you do this, you live the complete life. Thank God for John, who centuries ago caught a vision of the new Jerusalem. God grant that those of us who still walk on the road of life will catch the vision and decide to move forward to the city of complete life in which the length and the breadth and the height are equal. Can you imagine that where we really do love our neighbor as ourselves? And, and love God with, I mean, what our understanding of God is, like, these are equal parts. Just loving God and your neighbor, I think, is a pretty amazing thing if you could do that, you know. I'm always either like, you know, I've been through points of time where I'm like, man, I love everybody else, but I hate myself, you know. I remember I used to have the sticker, and it says, uh, God loves you, but everybody else thinks you're an asshole. And I changed the sticker with a little another sticker, and it said, God loves you, but everybody else thinks Jay's an asshole. You know, at a point where, you know, you're like, I had an, a, a psychiatrist once, or a therapist asked me once, like, would you say any of the things that you think to those in your congregation? Would you say any of those things that you constantly think to anyone in your congregation? And I said, no, I would never do that. So obviously I realized I wasn't loving myself like I was loving my neighbors. And I think one of the things we might say is like, well, Jay, what does this have to do with the tragedy of today? It has everything to do with the tragedy of the day is, is we have to look and say, if we don't stop this, what's going to happen to them? And look what's happening to them. And if we don't stop and deal with what's happening to them, you know, what's going to happen to all of us? And we have to have that concern, you know? And the next one could be our children. You know, our kids and our schools, it's already happened a million times. It could be anybody. And, and that shouldn't be the concern of who and who it isn't. But the concern should be is how do we stop the horrific tragedy of losses of life? How do we stop, you know, the billionaires who ignore poverty? You know, how do we do these things? And I think it's through having conversations like this. I think it's through working hard. And I think it's through realizing who we really are. And I think it's through self-acceptance and acceptance of others. And... Um, and living in our faith, you know? So, you know, today we celebrate all our, our, our fallen loved ones, our fallen LGBTQ friends and families, and uh, all those who, who have really ended, unfortunately, gun violence, even those who've, who've taken their own lives. I'd have to say, if I, if I had used a pistol, I would not be here today, had I decided to use a gun. So I'm going to end this with this, and it's, it's, it's Dr. King's prayer. He, he prays at the end. I'm going, to end this with, I'm going to read the prayer. Before I read the prayer, I'm going to say, listen, if you like what we're doing, you like this work, this is something that excites you, and you want to continue to move forward with this, you can go to revolutionchurch.com, and you can click the support button, and you can PayPal and support us. You can do it monthly. You can do a one-time gift. You know, um, for me to continue, for me to continue even to start even thinking about having even a per real location, we have to raise some funds because we have to pay bills. We have to pay the people. <laughs> the people who pay me have to get paid so I can get paid. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, it's, it's, it's funny how that works, right? Um, but it, I guess it takes money to make money. So if you like this work, great. Help us support it. Like I said before, if you can't, please just share this on your Twitter, on your Facebook, on your Instagram. Share these talks with other people. Send them to your friends. You can email them to your friends. Let people know what we're doing. Let's, you know, we can at least grow the community. Because I believe we're here to make a difference. I believe I'm going to do the best I can to make a difference. And this is what I'm called for, such as a time as this. So that's, I'm going to try to stick here and do this. But I can only do it with you because that's where the community comes in is that I, I am really with you. You know, you make this happen. 
I'm just grateful to be part of it. And I've been doing this for 20 some odd years. So Dr. King ends with this prayer. Oh God, our gracious heavenly father, we thank thee for all the insight of the ages. And we thank thee for the privilege of having fellowship with thee. Help us to discover ourselves, to discover our neighbors, and to discover thee and to make all part of our life. Grant that we will go now with a grim and bold determination to live the complete life. In the name of the Spirit of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. King. You're always with us. You are infinite. Life after death, my friends. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Let's get through this. Love each other. And, and, and just this week, just, I mean, I challenge you, especially during Thanksgiving, Think about this sermon. Think about this talk. Think about Dr. King's sermon. This was just Dr. King's sermon with my thoughts. So take that with you as you go into this, this holiday week that can cause all sorts of trauma and interesting things, you know. Um, my kids have all week off. So I'll be really focused. <laughs> Love you guys so much. And um, yeah, see you Sunday. listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.